Father, as we come to chapter 35 of Genesis, we see Jacob in, a, in, a, in dire straits, maybe the worst situation he's been in, Lord, because he's backslidden all the way back to, to where he was when he first met you. And Lord, you're going to give him some instructions here in this text that, that apply to all backsliders, Lord, and, and I think every one of us at one time or the other are, are backsliding uh, away from you and and not moving forward in our walk uh, with you, Lord. And so, uh, so just some really good lessons for us to, to learn today. And, and Lord, maybe uh, through this study, all of us will reflect on where we're at in our walk with you and, 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 and take our, uh, our faith a lot more seriously than we do. Lord, uh, we live in such dark, dark times. And uh, this great country is unraveling right before our very eyes. Uh, this country you've given us, Lord, and and uh, we do it, we're just all uh, the whole society seems to be moving towards darkness. And Lord, we're going to need to to be strong during these times and not backslidden, uh, fallen believers. We need to be strong in our faith because we live in a society every bit as decadent as the one Jacob lived in. And so, Lord, I ask today that, again, by the power of your Spirit, that you be our teacher and that you, you give us these lessons that you would want to give us today uh, as we look at this story in Genesis 35. We just, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the word, Jesus Christ, and his blood that was shed for us at Calvary. And, Lord, it's through him that uh, we can, we can uh, live a victorious Christian life. And we just thank you for him. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Vance Havner used to say all the time that for the for a strong Christian to be in fellowship with the average Christian, he would have to backslide. And uh, I think he's right. Uh, what did he mean by backslide? What's it mean to backslide? Well, well, to backslide is really the word itself is pretty descriptive. But we should be moving forward in our walk with God. And whenever we aren't moving forward, I can tell you what's happening. We're sliding backwards. We're sliding back to that place we were at before we were even saved. And so none of us want to be backsliders. Now, I love the way Spurgeon uh, described backsliding uh, in one of his devotionals. Let me read that to you. He says, instead of moving forward in, in our walk with God, we seem to be sliding backwards it's very much like climbing a hill of ice you can you cannot slide up that hill you have to work to cut every step with an ice axe only with necessary labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress if you want to know how to backslide just just stay still if you stay still you're going to backslide uh, you leave off going forward, and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. If you stand still, you are going to backslide. Now, that brings us to today's study in Genesis chapter 35, because Jacob was the quintessential backslider. Uh, I mean, uh here he was at Peniel, you remember the story, and he had wrestled with God. And God, after, he, after Jacob had wrestled with him, God placed him on a spiritual peak. 
a, a, a spiritual slope right there on top. He named him Israel, Prince with God. And, and, uh, uh, but here's Jacob, and he doesn't move forward. He just stands still, and it's like he's on this hill of ice. And so he goes backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards all the way to where he's all the way back to who he was when he first encountered God. And, and so it shouldn't have been the case because no man had as many raisins as Jacob did to move forward in his faith. I mean, at his very birth, he was set aside as the child of promise. I mean, he was, he was the one who was to receive the, the Abrahamic uh, promises that had been given to Abraham. Uh, he, he was to inherit all of that. Uh, at Bethel, when he was at Bethel before, he had encountered God. He had seen Jacob's ladder. He had seen angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And so, so he had this great encounter with God, and God spoke to him at, at Bethel. And then he went on to Haran, and he... He labored under his uncle Laban and he saw the hand of God all over his life as God blessed him over and over and over again. And then again at Peniel, as I said earlier, he, he, he wrestled with God and he prevailed and God gave him that great name Israel, which means prince with God. Uh, then he went across the brook Jacob, Jabok, and, and he met his brother and he thought his brother was coming there to kill him. He had 400 soldiers with him. And his brother came off of his horse and ran and greeted him and, and they hugged and they kissed and, and they were reunited in a, in a loving relationship. It was nothing short of a miracle of God. And so here's Jacob and he's got every reason to just keep pushing forward in his relationship with God. A lot like a lot of us. God has been so good to us and he's done so many wonderful things for us. We should never backslide. But I tell you what, you stand still in your relationship with God. And here's Jacob up on this peak, this slippery peak, this slippery slope. Up at the very top, he's Israel, prince with God. And he begins to slide because he does nothing to move forward in his relationship with God. And he slides all the way back uh, and back and back until we see him in Shechem. And what a pitiful sight. Jacob is at that point. I mean, his daughter's been defiled. His sons have gone and killed. They, they, they've they've uh, massacred an entire city of men. Uh, they have blood all over them, blood on their hands, blood in their hearts. Uh, uh, and now Jacob is a wanted man because all of these Canaanite tribes in the area are going to get together, and no doubt they were planning to get together, and they're going to set out to kill Jacob and his sons. And so here you have Jacob, and, and uh, uh, he's backslidden. He's the same man now. He's not Israel. He's Jacob. He's the same man who had stolen the birthright from his brother Esau and had to flee from Esau, and now he's got to flee from these Canaanites, and uh, he's broken. He doesn't know what to do. And he does the right thing at this point. Now, we don't get the details as to what prayer he makes. We know he goes back to the altar uh, that he had made, uh, El, 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 Elohi Israel, which means God is the God of Israel. And he says to himself, and he prays to the Lord, and he says, Lord, I'm not Israel. I'm Jacob. I'm still nothing more than a failure. 
I'm a hill catcher. I'm a deceiver. I'm a loser. And I'm in deep, deep trouble, Lord. I've got nations that are going to come against me. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill my sons and my daughters, uh, my wives. Uh, and, and I need your help. And so now as we come to chapter 35, what we're going to get in chapter 35 is an answer to a backslider's prayer. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you've backslidden and you've gone all the way back down the hill and, and you're broken and you come to the Lord and you ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do now? I'm no different than I was the day I got saved. I'm every bit as bad as I ever was. Lord, what do I do? And the Lord's going to give him an answer. And in that answer, we're going to get instructions for what we need to do when we're backslidden. And, and uh, if you're ever dealing with backsliding, and if you haven't, you will at some point in your life if you're a Christian. We all backslide because we, we don't, we're not always moving forward in our faith. And when we're not moving forward, we're backsliding. And so we're going to get some really good information here on what we need to do when we reach that point. Now, you'll know when you've reached that point. You know, sometimes we, we backslide and we don't even realize that what's happening to us. But then we get so far down, back down that hill and, and, and that we're broken. And then when we're broken, we're going to come to the Lord and we're going to know what we need to do. And God's going to show us right here as he, as he shows Jacob. Look with me beginning in chapter 35 at verse number 1. It says, then God said to Jacob, here's what I want you to do. Jacob says, Lord, what do I need to do? Help me. And, he, and the Lord says to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. Now, what was Bethel? Bethel was the, what the, Jacob had given it that name. It means the house of God. He had called it the house of God because he had encountered God at Bethel. He had had a real encounter with God at Bethel. And so God says, go back to that place where you first had a real encounter with me. And dwell there for a while. I want you to camp there for a while. And I want you to make an altar there to God, to me, that the God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to that place where you had that first encounter with me. I want you to camp there. I want you to build an altar there. And I want you to ponder what happened there. I want you to ponder what happened when you first saw me. What happened in your heart? What happened in your life? When you had that first encounter with me. Remember, Jacob was pretty excited when he first encountered the Lord. He was so excited that he began to make vows to the Lord. You remember, he made all of these great vows to the Lord. They were selfish vows, but at least he was vowing to the Lord. Go back with me to chapter 28 for a minute. And there's where we have Jacob's encounter with the Lord at Bethel and he names the place Bethel which means the house of God and then he makes this vow in chapter 28 beginning down in verse number 20 it says then Jacob made a vow saying if Lord you will be with me if God will be with me and keep me in my way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Jehovah the Lord, Jehovah God, the God above all God, shall be my God. 
And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall, shall be God's house, and, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he promises the Lord, Lord, if you'll, if you'll just take care of me on my journey, if you'll watch over me and, and protect me and keep me and bless me, clothe me and give me food, then you will be my God forever. And I will give you a tenth of all that I ever make or receive. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Did God keep his promise? Oh, man, God more than kept his promise. God didn't just protect Jacob. He didn't just take care of him. He didn't just give him food to eat. He blessed him. He made him a very rich man. But what about Jacob? Did he keep his promise? I mean, did he truly give God a tenth of all he made? Now, I don't see anywhere in the text where it shows us that he did. I don't know that he ever gave anything back to the Lord, at least not up until this point. Uh, He hadn't given anything back to the Lord. And he really hadn't made the Lord his God. Who was Jacob's God? His God's the same as, as, as the same God most of a lot of us have. I'll say not say most of us, but a lot of us have. His God was still himself. Now, he understood that Jehovah was God, and God was mightier than him. But his God was still himself. He still determined what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do, and where he wanted to do it. And if you're still doing that, if I'm still doing that, God is not truly my God. And so Jacob hadn't made God his God. And that's not the only problem that Jacob had. He had allowed all of these foreign gods to come into his camp. Uh, remember, Rachel had gotten stolen the household goods from Laban, and so she brought all of those foreign gods with her that she worshipped, and no doubt her servants worshipped foreign gods, and more than likely her children worshipped foreign gods. Leah probably had her foreign gods, and so they had all sorts of foreign gods. They wore trinkets of these gods on on their ears and in their noses, and so they worshiped these foreign gods. And so they were just polluted with idolatry. And so Jacob hadn't kept his vow. And the Lord says, I want you to go back to Bethel, where you first encountered me, where you, where you, where you encountered the true and living God, and, and I want you to, 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 to think about what you've done and what you haven't done. And that's the first step. Whenever we begin to backslide, let me tell you the first step that you've got to take when you begin to backslide. You've got to go back to the place, and I'm I'm not talking necessarily literally to a literal physical place, but to the place in your spirit where you first encountered God. Now, if you've never had an experience where you've encountered God, you need to have an experience where you encounter God. The, you know, Jeremiah put it like this. Actually, the, the Lord speaking, Jeremiah wrote it down what the Lord said. The Lord said, if you will seek me with all of my heart, you will find me. And, and when he says you will find me, the Lord means in a real way. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but how many of you have really ever encountered the living presence of the Lord? If you haven't, don't, you know, don't, don't say anything, but you need to do that. Now, that's going to happen if you're a born-again believer. At some point, I mean, certainly when we all die, we're going to encounter the living Lord. But more than likely, before that point, 
you're going to have some sort of real encounter where you know you've encountered the Lord. And now normally when does that happen? For most people, it happens when you get saved. That's your first encounter with the Lord. Paul, remember on the Damascus Road, he had that experience where he encountered the Lord. I mean, I believe my, my first real encounter with the Lord came when I got saved. But I don't know that's always the case. I think some people, I mean, certainly when you get saved, there's an encounter with the Lord, but I don't know that you're cognizant of that encounter. And I'm talking about an encounter where you're cognizant of the presence of God. And I don't know that necessarily happens for everybody when they get saved. In fact, I don't think it happened for most people when they get saved. But somewhere along in your walk, you're going to have a real encounter with God. And you've got to hang on to that encounter. I mean, you've got to, you've got, yeah, that's what builds your faith. I mean, you look at a man like David. David, I think, knew the Lord his whole life. But I don't think he really encountered the Lord until... He was first anointed by Samuel to become king. And then shortly after that, remember, he went out and he fought Goliath. And he certainly had a real encounter with the Lord when he fought Goliath. He had the Spirit of God all over him as he killed Goliath. And you remember when he was running from Saul, you remember he went to the high priest and he got he ate of the showbread, him and his men ate of the showbread. And the high priest, what did the high priest give him? He gave him the sword of Goliath. And, and that had to touch David's heart. David had to, David went back to the point. I mean, here with David, he was backsliding. He was, he was, he was running from Saul. I mean, he had kind of, he, he felt estranged from the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's holding again that sword that uh, he had taken from Goliath when he had killed Goliath. And so, he, he, in, in essence, he went back to that time. And that had to encourage him as he left the high priest's house and Saul was hunting him down. That had to encourage him that, hey, the Lord was with me when I killed Goliath and he's with me now. And so, so it's important that when we're backsliding, we know we're backsliding, we know we're drifting away from the Lord, away, uh, our, our relationship with the Lord is getting really thin. We, 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 don't, we, we feel like we're, we're heading right back to where we were before we first got saved. Well, the first thing we need to do we need to go back to that place where we first encountered the Lord. We need to go back in our hearts, and we need to ponder that time. And we need to think about that time, and we need to recount that experience. We need to recount how we felt when we first encountered the Lord. When I first encountered the Lord, I loved the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul. That was a spiritual thing. Only the Lord can do that. And everything I did after I first encountered the Lord, I did because I loved the Lord. There was no, I didn't do it because of discipline. I didn't do it because of duty. I did it because I love the Lord. And if we're not careful, if we don't go back and rehearse those encounters we have with the Lord, we drift in our relationship with the Lord, and we can actually be doing all sorts of Christian things, but we can be totally backslid in the process. That's exactly what happened to the church at Ephesus. Flip with me over to Revelation chapter 2. You remember the story. Jesus is talking to the, seven, about the, seven, to the seven churches. And he talks to this one church. It's the church at Ephesus. Now this had to be, from, from an outsider's view, this had to be the strongest church on earth at the time. But that wasn't the way the Lord saw it. 
And, and there's a great lesson for us here. Look at chapter 2 of Revelation. Let me just go over this real quickly here. Beginning in verse number 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, Ephesus write, These things says he, Jesus Christ, who holds the seven stars, and in his right hand who walks in the midst of, of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now that all sounds really good. I mean, don't you hate the evil in this world that you see right now? The evil in our political system, the evil that's on television, the evil that's in movies, the evil that's, you walk out that door and, and it's nothing but evil, and you hate that evil? Because, because evil people hate God, and so you, you hate that evil? I mean, don't you hate that? Yeah, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're walking strongly with the Lord, just because you hate evil. He says, he says, he says, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not and have found them liars. I mean, you even can spot, you've got spiritual discernment. You can spot those people that say they're Christians and, and you know they're really not Christians. You can spot those churches where they're, they're, they're claiming to be Christian churches and they're really not Christian churches. I mean, that's great you can do that. That's, that's a good sign you have the Spirit of God. But that doesn't mean you're right with God. That doesn't mean you're not backslidden. And you've persevered. Now watch this. And you've persevered and you have patience and you've labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Man, I wish I could say that about myself. That I've labored and have not become weary because I, I, I get weary all the time. I mean, these people, man, they had a zeal for the Lord, and, and they didn't get weary at all. I mean, to me, they sound like a bunch of spiritual giants. I mean, the, the people moving out in victory. I mean, they don't, they don't sound like backsliders to me, but they're backsliders. They backslidden about as far as you can backslide. Listen to what the Lord says about them in the next verse, in, in verse number 4. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now here's Jacob. We're looking at Jacob, and, and Jacob was a backslider, and Jacob's backsliding came because of his gross negligence. He did nothing for the Lord. All he did was serve himself. And because he didn't move forward, he slid backwards. But these people seem to be moving forward. They seem to be moving forward to victory, and, and yet they're backsliding. And Christ can look into our hearts and he can see exactly where we are in our relationship with him. He can look at you with those piercing eyes right now and he knows exactly where you stand with him. He knows if your relationship is dead. He knows if it's a flickering flame. He knows if it's a burning flame. He knows that. You don't fool him. And I mean, you can read your Bible and you can pray all day and you can do all sorts of things, religious things. You can pastor the largest church in the country. You can do all of those things and be backslidden in the eyes of the Lord, just like this church was. But he tells them what to do. Look at what he says in verse number five. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What's the where there? From the place where you first encountered me in a real way. The place where you love me with all your heart. 
You go back to that place. And remember how it was back then, because that's not the way it is now. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Go back to the place where you were back then, repent. Turn around, what it means. And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, you're going to be totally backslidden. You're going to be out of business. You're going to be put on the shelf. Your relationship is, you don't lose your salvation, but, but, but you're toast. You're useless as far as the kingdom of God goes unless you turn around and go back to that place where you first encountered me, where you prayed and you read your Bible and you witnessed and you served me not out of duty, but out of love. I think a lot of us, a lot of us, who have had that real encounter with the Lord, I think it's only natural because we don't those encounters don't continue, that our relationship with the Lord begins to become stale. And we and our, our answers to try to read the Bible more, our answers to try to pray more, our answers to just turn just just give it up, kind of like Jacob did, and just just, you know, I'll see the Lord when I see the Lord. But what should our answer be? What should our what should what should we do? We should go back. Remember what it was like when we first encountered the Lord. And get back into a real relationship through faith where we do all that we do because we love the Lord. Not out of duty. Duty's a good thing. Discipline's a good thing. Perseverance, all these things the church in Ephesus was doing, all of that's a good thing. But without love, we're nothing more than clanging symbols. And if you're, whatever we're doing for the Lord, if you're doing nothing from the Lord, you're backsliding. But if you're doing stuff for the Lord and you're doing it for the wrong reason, you're backsliding just as much as the guy that's hanging out at the, Christian is hanging out at the bar at two o'clock in the morning. You're just as backslidden. All right. Now, let's go back to Genesis 35. So God tells Jacob, he says, Jacob, if you want to get back on that peak, on that mountaintop, if you want to get back to being Israel, then here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to go back to Bethel where you first encountered me. Now, that's not all you're going to have to do, Jacob. And we don't get the details of God's answer here, but we know the details of his answer because what he tells his family to do in the next verse. God tells him there's three more things you've got to do. You've got to go back. And refire that relationship. And then there's three other things you've got to do. Because these are the things that are keeping you from having the relationship you had with me when you first encountered me at Bethel. And these are the things that keep us from having the loving relationship we had with the Lord when we first encountered him. What are those three things? Look at what he says in verse number two. So Jacob tells his household and all who are with him. First of all, he says, put away your foreign gods. You are never going to have a relationship with me as long as you're worshiping other gods. 
You've got to put away your foreign gods that are among you. The second thing you've got to do, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to wash yourselves up. You're dirty. You've got to purify yourselves. And then here they were. They had just slaughtered all of these men in Shechem. They got blood all over the garment. He said, you've got to get rid of those garments. You've got to change your garments. So you've got to remove your foreign gods. You've got to remove your trinkets. And uh, right along those lines, he tells his clan, you're going to have to purify yourselves. You're going to have to clean yourselves up, which is tantamount to what? It's tantamount to separating yourself unto God, purifying yourself from these idols. It goes right along with getting rid of the idols. You've got to get away from all these things you were doing in idolatry, and you've got to purify yourself, clean yourselves up, and, and, and become holy, separated unto God. And then you've got to change those garments. You've got to put on clean, unspotted garments uh, before you're going to meet the Lord. And what's that symbolic of? It's symbolic of putting off the old man, the old nature, the unrighteous life that we live, and putting on godliness and, and the righteousness of God. Right, then in verse number 3, listen to what he says. He says, he says, then let us arise and let's go up to Bethel, the house of God. We've, we've got to get rid of these foreign gods. We've got to purify ourselves. We've got to change our garments. And then we're going to go back to the place where I first encountered God. You can't even get back there until you do those three things. He says, then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress. And watch this. And he has been with me in the way which I, have, which I have gone. He's been with me the whole time. You know what that tells me if you're a backslider here today? God's still with you. You might have left God, but God hasn't left you. What a wonderful God we serve. A God who is faithful when we're unfaithful. I mean, here's this God who had been with Jacob the whole time. He didn't just, just encounter him at Bethel. God had been with him when he left Bethel and he'd gone to Haran. And now he's coming back to Bethel. That whole journey, that whole 20, 30 or so years we're at now, all of those years, God had been with Jacob every moment of every day. And then number four, it says, so Jacob gave, so they, his children and his wives gave Jacob all, how many foreign gods you got to get rid of? You got to get rid of all the foreign gods. All the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them. He buried them, literally. He buried them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. So before they leave, the first thing they do, they get rid of all of those gods. He buries all of those gods. And no doubt at that point, they washed themselves with water, they made themselves pure, and they put on their best dress, and so now they're ready to go to Bethel, and they're ready to meet the Lord. You want to meet the Lord? You're in a backslidden state where, you, where, you, where your relationship with the Lord has gone dry and stale, and it doesn't even seem like you know, you've, you've encountered the Lord in years. You're just going through the motions. I mean, you want to, we want to come out of that state. And if we want to come out of that state, 
we, we got to go back to where we encountered the Lord, but to encounter the Lord again, there's some things we got to do. And listen to me carefully. The first thing we've got to do is put away all of those foreign gods. You will never encounter the Lord when you have things that are coming between you and your relationship with the Lord. You will never encounter the Lord. You can forget it. Now, I'm not saying the Lord won't be with you in that backslidden state, but you're going to stay backslidden. I'm going to stay backslidden if I don't get rid of all of the foreign gods, every single one of them. And if necessary, I have to bury them. I mean, I have to get them totally out of my out of my life and bury them in a place where I'll never go back to them again. Well, how many of you worship foreign gods? If you're honest, how many of you worship foreign gods? Every single one of you, I bet, are worshiping some kind of foreign god right now. But you don't have your little idol, household idol that you bow down to at night. But you pull one out of your pocket probably every other minute of the day. Or as soon as you head home, you flip the flipper out and you flip it on and you, and you begin to, to, to watch the TV. Or you head out of here and we head to a movie or a ball game or whatever. And those things in and of themselves are not bad. But, if, but, they, but it's real easy for them to become bad if they get in between you and your relationship with the Lord. A foreign God can be your career. It can be your dream. It can be your vision. I mean, it, it can be uh, your, your ministry. Uh, it can be some sport you're involved in. It can be the bottle. You know, that's your God. Or some other bad habits, your God. It could be the television set at home. It could be your cell phone. Now, I could, I could sit and, and harp on all of these and talk about all of them for a long time. Well, let me just use one, the cell phone. And I'm not saying, I'm not picking on anybody here, so don't come out here and say I was stepping on your toes today. Because I'm stepping on my own toes. I mean, the cell phones now have this little thing where they tell you every week how long you've been on that phone. And sometimes it shocks me how long I've been on the phone. And how little I've been with the Lord because I've been on the phone. But there's a commercial that's making the rounds right now, a Nissan commercial. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but but uh, it advertises their pedestrian safety system that that can see pedestrians that are are stepping out on you. And in the commercial, they're in this downtown area. It doesn't tell you what town it is. But all the pedestrians are walking around and they're crossing the street and, and, they're, and even the people in the cars, everybody's got their head in their cell phone. I mean, they're walking down the street with their head in their cell phone. They're, they're, they're in their cars with their heads in their cell phones. They go to a restaurant, their heads are in their cell phone. You know what? That, that's, supposed, that's an exaggeration of the way it is right now. But I go into, if you go out to eat today, look at how many people that are, got their heads buried in their cell phone. I might be one of them. I couldn't do my own confessing here. I mean, we spend way too much time in our cell phones. Now, cell phones, are they bad things? No. But if we spend so much time in those cell phones that we don't have time for the Lord, we, 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 we can forget having an encounter with the Lord. We're backslidden. And we're backsliding. We might not be all the way down the hill yet, 
But we're not moving forward in our relationship with the Lord. And if, as Spurgeon said, if you're not moving forward, if you've not hit, got that pickaxe in that, in that ice trying to pull yourself forward, you're going to be sliding backwards. And so, even with a, something as innocent as a cell phone, it can become a foreign idol. Now, that might not be your idol. But I guarantee you, if you have an idol, you're here today, you know exactly what that idol is. Most of us, we got more than one idol. Anything that we allow to interfere with the things that God wants us to do, and especially in our relationship with him, it is a foreign God, and we need to get it out of our lives. If we've got to bury it, we need to bury it. Burying your cell phone might be you go back to a flip phone. Burying the TV might be you cut off cable. Uh, there's just a lot of things that interfere in our relationship with the Lord. We need to get out of our lives. Now, all of us, we got to work. We got to we got to make a living. I understand you got to have a career, but you got to make sure those things don't come in between you and your relationship with the Lord if you want to live in a strong uh, relationship with the Lord. And there's some big advantages to doing that. Some big advantages to doing that. Here's Jacob now, and Jacob's back to square one. He's right back where he was when Esau was hunting him down that first time, and he was running from Esau. Now his sons have gone out, and they've killed all of these people, and all of these, these nations around, surrounding them are angry at them, and they're plotting to kill him, and he knows it, that very moment. He needs the Lord's help desperately. So the first, he does the right thing. The first thing he does, he gets rid of those idols. He buries those idols. And they're going to have nothing else to do with those idols. Not only that, the second thing that he does is the same thing we have to do. We have to purify ourselves. Now, how does a Christian purify himself? We purify ourselves by the washing of the word by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. And, 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 and that's the only way we're going to purify ourselves. I mean, it's the word that supernaturally purifies us. The television set won't purify you. The, 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 my cell phone won't purify me. My job won't purify me. It's the word of God that purifies me. Studying the word by the spirit of God in a loving relationship with the Lord. Not again out of duty or necessity. But because I love the Lord and I want to walk holy with the Lord. And then the last thing we have to do, we have to put on fresh garments. You know exactly what Paul tells us? Put off what? The old man or woman put on the new man or woman. What's the new man or woman? That's the robes of righteousness. Perfect righteousness that we've been given through Jesus Christ. That's the new man. Now, that should do what? That should change the way I walk in this world. If I'm wearing those robes of righteousness and I put off the old man, that old nature, even though I'm still dragging it around, if I put off that old nature and I put on those new robes, how should my life be lived? It should be lived godly and righteously. And if I'm not living godly or righteously, it's because I'm not making the choice to put off that old man. I'm still letting the old man rule my life. 
And I can't ever, when I'm doing it, I can't ever expect to encounter the Lord if I'm doing that. So if we're backslidden, he gives us a perfect uh, solution to that. And then look at what happens in verse number 5. So Jacob does all of these things, and watch this. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Look at that. Look at what happened. You remember what Jacob had said to his sons after they had slaughtered the Shechemites. Look, look back at chapter 34, verse number 30. Listen to what he says. He says, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, uh, among the Canaanites and the Parasites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed, me and you and everybody with us. But what happens now? Jacob's made the move to become Israel again. He's pushing forward in his relationship with the Lord. He's, he's, he's gone back to where he, he's going back to where he first encountered the Lord. And before he does that, he's put away his idols. He purified himself and they put on new garments. And now what happens? These people can't touch him. Those people that want to destroy them can't touch him because the fear of God is in them. They don't want to, they don't want to get anywhere near, uh, Jacob. Not because they're afraid of Jacob, but because they're afraid of God. Now, how God did that, we don't know. We're not told. But somehow, supernaturally, God takes over now for, in this situation, and he's going to protect Jacob, and he's going to protect Jacob's family. And, and, and listen, you want victory in your life. You want to see your enemies flee. You want to see the devil flee. You want to see your lust flee. Then you've got to get back to moving forward in your relationship with the Lord and get out of that backslidden state you're in. And when you get out of that backslidden state you're in, then your enemies become subservient to you. because Not because they fear you, but because they fear the Lord. The devil himself becomes subservient to you. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, you can't resist the devil in a backslidden state. You can only resist the devil when you're living in a strong relationship with the Lord. And we all are getting beat up by the devil, and it's because we're living there just like Jacob was at Shechem. We're defeated, and, we're, and, we're, and we, our life is full of idols, and we're, we're walking unrighteously and ungodly in this world. And, 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 and so we got to come out of that state. we got to pick ourselves up and come out of that state. Now, God's the one who really ultimately picks us up. But we've got to make some choices to get rid of these idols. We've got to make a choice to, to separate ourselves and, and wash ourselves in the world and to put on the garments of righteousness and not the garments of this world. And when we do that, then we're going to have victory. We're going to see all sorts of things flee from us that are causing us grief. Powers and principalities, disease and poverty, depression and despair. Our own fears are going to flee from us because perfect love casts out fear. So that's how we get to a victorious life. And that's what's happening to old Jacob here. Now look at verse number 6. It says in verse number, 
6, so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, the place where he had seen the ladder, the place where he had heard the voice of the Lord, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there again, and he called the place of it El Bethel, the God of Bethel. Because there God had appeared to him when he had fled from the face of his brother Esau. Now Deborah... And we get a little sidelight here, which is really interesting right here in verse number, verse number uh, 8. It says, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. Now, who was Deborah? You remember, who was Rebekah? First of all, Rebekah was the woman who Eliezer went uh, way, all the way to Haran, to un- the land of Uncle Laban. And he was looking for a bride for Isaac. And he found Rebekah. And when Rebekah went back with him, she took a nurse with him named Deborah. And so this lady Deborah had been with Jacob his whole life. We don't know exactly when Rebecca died, but at this point Rebecca is dead. And and uh, after Rebecca died, no doubt Jacob loved Deborah, so he brought Deborah into their fold. And now at, as we come to verse number 8, Deborah Rebecca's nurse dies. Jacob's about to go through some tough times. We're all about to go through some tough times at some point in our life. We don't want to face those times in a backslidden state. We want to face those times as Israel. We want to face those times as people who are walking in a strong relationship with God. And so we, think, we, we begin to see things get really tough. Jacob lived a tough life. And, and things are going to get really tough for him now. He's going to lose Deborah here. And then in the next chapter, he's going to lose his wife, Rachel. But anyway, she died, and, and uh, they buried him under a terebinth tree, and the name of it was called Alon Bakuth, which means the tree of great weeping. He wept for Deborah. Then God, watch what happens. Everything is set. Jacob is back in a strong relationship with the Lord. He's back at the place where he first encountered the Lord. Get back to that place. Because look what happens. Then God appeared to Jacob again. In a theophany, no doubt. Jesus Christ himself came and visited Jacob. And he came from, and when he, Jacob came from Padan Haram, and the Lord blessed him. And the Lord said to him in verse number 10, Your name is Jacob. Jacob, that's what everybody calls you. That's the way you define yourself. You're a hill catcher. You're a schemer. You're a loser. That's the state you're in right now, in this backslidden state. But we're changing that. Uh, he, says, he tells him the same thing he told him at Peniel. He says, Your name is Jacob. Uh, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel, prince with God, shall your name be. So he called his name Israel. No longer are you a backslider. Uh, you've put away your idols. You've washed your, your, your garments. You've purified yourself, and you've prevailed with God, and so you are Israel. And so He gives him the great promises. He renews the promises again. So he called his name Israel in verse number 11. Also God said to him, I am El Shaddai. 
God Almighty. Why does he use that name? God used that name at that point. Because El Shaddai means God has the power to do everything he says he's going to do. I have all power. And so the promises that I'm making you, I'm going to keep those promises. I'm going to keep your enemies away from you, just like you're seeing now. But also, go out and be fruitful and multiply. Uh, A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and your descendants after you. I give this land. And Jacob's a different man now. It's been a long time since he was at Bethel that first time. And he, he didn't, he, he, when God made those promises to him back then, when his father told him about those promises, they meant nothing to him. They mean something to him now. It means something to be a child of God to Jacob now. It means something to be an heir of the Abrahamic covenant. It means something to know he's going to live forever with the Lord. And so he values that. And then in verse number 13, then God went up from, look, what a sight that had to be. Jehovah, Jesus, in the flesh, this theophany, the Lord standing there with him. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. He just goes straight up into the air and into heaven. Just like he did when Samson's parents had met Jesus. Remember how he all of a sudden just was ascended into heaven? Remember how when, when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he ascended back to heaven? And, and, and I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. Heaven is not that far away. It's in a dimension that we can't see, but it is right there. If God was to rend the heavens right now, and open that dimension for us to see. You would see the same thing. Actually, it would be a little bit different from what Stephen saw. Because when Stephen, when the heavens were rendered, when Stephen was about to die, he saw the Lord standing, waiting to receive Stephen into heaven. Right now, if he was to rend those heavens, you would see the Lord sitting on his throne of glory. And you would see his glory filling the whole earth. But he's right there. I mean, he's right there. It's so easy to have an encounter with the Lord. If we're in a right position with the Lord. It's so easy to have the Lord fulfill all the promises that he's made to us. If we're in a right position with the Lord. It's so easy for the Lord to protect us and watch over us. If we're in a right position with the Lord. And you're going to get in that position. The easy way or the hard way. Jacob had to get broken. Some of us have to get broken before we go back. Before the backsliding stops and we go back to being who God wants us to be. And we, go, we begin to move forward in our, in our Christian walk. So Jacob set up a pillar there in the place. I mean, he's excited and he, where the Lord had talked with him. A pillar of stone and he poured a drink offering on it and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him. Again, he calls it Bethel. He reiterates that name. But this time Jacob does it. With knowledge. Jacob understands at this point that God is not just the God of Bethel. That God was the God of Haran too. When Jacob was in Haran. That God was the God of Peniel. That God was the God of Sukkoth. That God was the God of Shechem. That God had been with him his whole way. God had not forsaken him. And God had not deserted him. And he never will or would. Jacob's going to need to know that because as we're going to see beginning
next week. He's gone through some tough times. He's going to go through some even tougher times. Look, we all are facing some difficult times in our lives. They're coming. You might not be there now. Hopefully you're not, but, but they're coming. Times that are going to make us want to just quit moving forward. That's what's going to happen. They're going to want to make us just give it up. And when we quit moving forward, what's going to happen, we're going to, we're going to slide right back down to the place where we were at before we first got saved. I, I've seen some pretty strong Christians slide back down that hill really rapidly and really fast to the point you would say they aren't saved. I'd say they still are. A point of just total, almost, I don't want to say total, but almost to a point of total spiritual depravity. So they're doing things you, you, you just couldn't imagine that they would do. They've allowed themselves to quit moving forward and have taken that slide back. And when we get ourselves in that position, we are ripe for defeat. We're ripe for defeat. Our enemies are going to best us. The devil's going to best us. Our lusts are going to best us. Uh, we're, it's, it's going to get really bad in our life. But we can stop that slide. We can make, take the steps to stop that slide at any point. And put the fear of God in our enemies. What do we have to do to do that? We have to put away our form in God's. We have to purify ourselves, separate ourselves to God through his word, by his spirit. We have to put off the old man and put on the new man every single day. And then we have to go back. Once we've done that, we have to go back to that place where we've had a real encounter with God and hopefully encounter Him again. Sometimes it's just the reflection on that place and that time that allows us to encounter God. Sometimes it's a sure enough encounter with God. And again, if if you're here today and you've just never had any kind of encounter with God, I encourage you. To follow those steps and seek the Lord with all your heart. Put away those foreign gods and you'll find him. And that'll be a place you can mark in your life. Where you know that you know that you know that you're saved. That he's God. That his word is true. And when we do those things, we begin to walk worthy of our calling and uh, that's how we get to that mountaintop of spiritual victory. That's what we want to live. I, mean, I tell you, there's way too many of us living down at the bottom of the hill. And we might be doing all sorts of routines to try to look religious, but we know it. We're not, we're not where we're supposed to be. Well, you go back and look at this text and let God show you what you need to do to start moving upward again.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for just the grace that, to know that, Lord, wherever state we're in, in our Christian walk, whether we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, whether we're a spiritual giant or a backslidden believer, wherever we're at, Lord, you're with us on our way. But, Lord, I know you want to encourage us all to, to get moving forward, to stop the backsliding, to, Lord, to begin to, to experience the victory over our enemies that you want us to have, to experience victory in our walk with you as we relate to others in this world. Begin to bear some fruit, Lord. That's hard to do when we're backslidden. So I just ask today that you all encourage us, prompt us and teach us to become the kind of believers you want us to be through Jesus Christ. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you for his love. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.